Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really thrilled to welcome Linda Landrigan to the podcast today. Linda has had a longtime love affair with mystery, earning her undergraduate degree from New College in Florida and her master's degree from Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. Linda held a variety of jobs before landing a position as associate editor of Hitchcock under the magazine's previous editor, Kathleen Jordan, with whom she had the privilege of working for five years. Assuming the mantle of editor-in-chief in 2002, Linda has also edited the commemorative anthology Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine Presents 50 Years of Crime and Suspense in 2006, and the digital anthology Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine Presents 13 Tales of New American Gothic in 2012 and has found time to be active on the board of the New York City chapter of the Women's National Book Association. In 2008, Linda and her partner in crime, Janet Hutchins, editor of Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, were presented with the Perot Award from Malice Domestic for their contributions to the mystery genre. Linda, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. Well, I'm looking forward to to having a conversation about what you do and what what brought you there um, and about the short story genre, which so many people um, write short stories. We have a really active short story community and sisters in crime. Um, but let's start at the beginning. And can you talk to me about, you know, why you were interested in pursuing a career in in publishing and what brought you there? Well, you know, I, I think um, very early on, before I knew what a writer was, I decided I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> I think I was five. Um, and, uh, you know, after college, when I didn't know what to do, and my mother was really kind of um, urging me to go to law school, <laughs> which would have been a bad fit, I, I actually went to, we lived in Gainesville, Florida, so I went to the journalism school there and worked for the college newspaper for a while, which was a terrific experience. And that in itself opened up doors, you know, as soon as I could, I jumped to New York City um, and worked not in newspapers, but um, various kind of publishing houses and ended up at a trade magazine that um, featured um, contract design for you know hotels and and restaurants and it was all in-house written and it was great it got the writer bug out of me <laughs> it's like I'd written something I'd gotten it published fine I could move on with life um and it was after we were kind of bouncing around between New York and um kind of the Vermont New Hampshire area um and it was after we we came back to New York and I wondered what could I do I hadn't worked in publishing that's when I got my master's but I felt like very inexperienced but I loved the fiction magazines and I bought a few and was in the process of writing to Janet and Kathleen to see if they had any openings when we hit New York opened the New York Times and there was a job opening for Kathleen's assistant um and that was just it she Kathleen was kind of old school publishing and it was just great to work with her I was a little afraid of her because she was so certain about everything and so everything was perfect with her everything so it was a good learning opportunity for me because I can be um a little bit more relaxed but also I just she was just great to work with her humor her sensibility, everything. Um, and uh, we left again. You know, my husband took a job in New Hampshire. And just a few months after that, kind of sadly, um, Kathleen died very suddenly without um, 
warning. And so the company asked me if I would apply, you know, to to come back. And of course, mm-hmm. yes, I did. <laughs> it was my dream job. And it was funny, you know, something I think Kathleen would appreciate this, but um, you know, it was sad about Kathleen, but I was delighted to have her job. <laughs> so, um so it was uh, just kind of an odd feeling when I started, but just I just feel so incredibly lucky. It's just such a, a fun job. So many wonderful people in the mystery community, and um, it's been great. And I can't believe it's been 20 something, 21, 22. I've given up now. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Well, and and what a time in publishing. I mean, the last 20 years have seen so many changes and so many mm-hmm. differences. But can we talk a little bit about, you know, what she did and how she taught you to, to take on this role and then what you brought to it and what changes you made? As for, and also, what, what do you do as the editor of Alfred Hitchcock? Well, um... Working with Kathleen, I I think, you know, just reading the stories and talking about them with her. And, you know, I do have a different sensibility than her. I do feel like the magazine has changed a little bit. But I think that was just a good education. And and also just how to deal with people, I think. She was was very responsive to her writers. Um, uh, So... Um, And then a lot of the magazine, you know, it it goes through two or three rounds of proofreading, and that takes up a lot of time. Uh, When I, just as I started, we were, um, the magazines had just switched to um, Quark, doing the pages on on the computer instead of, I don't know, like we used to kind of send them out and have them come back. Now we did everything ourselves. so, uh, so that it would, you know, it's just, it's the little things, I think, just kind of working under someone as a mentor and having mm-hmm. somebody to copy. Um, some of the things I do differently, she was, she was quirky and she kept a ton of lists of stories. So she'd have a list of everything and what went in one issue printed out and then a list of everything and then and what went in the next issue and then a whole list of the inventory um and it was just it was so confusing and there's this young kid that worked at the magazine for a bit and I mentioned this and um he drafted an, an Excel program for me <laughs> to keep the inventory, and it's a lot neater. It uses a lot less paper. Well, what you you talked about, you know, having keeping track of inventory, putting the magazine together, but you know how because Ellery Queen and Alfred Hitchcock are huge opportunities and excitement when when short stories get in there. How do you shape, uh, you know, and a, a, an issue how far ahead do you work um you do keep track of inventory but you must get hundreds of submissions so so how does all that I am a little bit behind and I'm embarrassed about this but um so with each issue I look at our list of stories in my wonderful excel doc <laughs> and I try and find something that um some, a little bit of everything, a little something light, a little something, you know, procedural, a detective story, you know, just to um, just have something that feels well-rounded. Although I, I will do themed issues. I try and do like kind of group a lot of, or a handful, I should say, humor stories in our May-June issue. Um, and uh, we have our special July-August issue, which has the winner of our... Um, Black Orchid Novella Award writing contest. Um, and then just this a few months ago, which is a long time ago for me because um, it was in our uh, September, October issue, which we put together, you know, kind of a last spring, last even early in the year. 
um, you know, I have a lot of sports stories. It's not something I regularly do, but that was just kind of fun to have sort of a sports themed issue. Um, people ask me a lot if they want to send, you know, kind of holiday stories or things keyed to a, a certain period of time and when to send them. And I just say all the time. So you work so far in advance. Mm-hmm. So in the summer, you know, I'm putting together our um, kind of winter holiday issue, but also I've thought about those stories. I've had them, you know, for months. So something pops up, I'm like, great, I'm going to slot it in for this issue that I'm going to work on in three or four months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, kind of day to day, I think sometimes it, it takes a lot of time, I think, to get the magazine ready because we do, we, do put in a lot of time just editing and proofreading it. And by editing, people ask this question a lot, how heavy do you edit it? And mm-hmm. I sort of feel like any kind of major things, I want to get out of the way before I buy the story. So once you're pulling the issue together, editing is basically checking for punctuation, spelling uh, consistency, name consistency. Um, it's really not we don't kind of shape a story ourselves. We work that out with an author and and it's very kind of light editing um, once we start putting the magazine together. But we go through, you know, we have three or four readers. We go through it kind of obsessively. And And when you say that, you you know, you work it out with the author in advance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure not every short story gets editorial letter of, right. oh, you know. <laughs> so you've got to respond to something or feel like the bones are there. Is yeah. this is this something you've honed over time, this reaction that lets you say, okay, this story's, it's got to center, it just needs some work? Yeah, I think, you know, I have to see it as I'm reading it. I think the thing that grabs me first reading a story is the language and the voice and the characters. And in fact, sometimes I forget to read for plot. And I have um, our managing editor, Jackie Sherbo, also helps me with the slush. And I'm always telling her, read for plot because I forget. I'm so seduced by... um, you know, a character and their voice and something different and something mm-hmm. kind of leaping out at me. But I think sometimes really, you know, that's not enough, but I can't, I don't really have the time to um, kind of figure out why a story is not working. Mm-hmm. But a handful of times it's just jumped out at me. Like this ending is resolved too quickly. You know, it's, um, you have this nice kind of detective kind of unfolding of the the crime. And then at the very end, someone just blurts it out and it's very unsatisfying. That's the kind of thing I can um, maybe go back to the author and say, I like it, but (laughs) But sometimes, most of the time, and I have to say most of the stories that come in the slush are pretty good. And that's, that's the heartbreaking thing about this is that you you can't take everything, you know. Um, but I don't have time to say what is it about this story? Mm-hmm. What is it about that story? Sometimes it just our story feels a little overfamiliar, or it's touching on a sensitive subject that maybe we only want to do once a year, you know. Um the kind of frustrating thing is I kind of know a story when I read it. <laughs> I can't always put my finger on it. You know, it just grabs me um, kind of viscerally. And when you talk about having inventory on your spreadsheet, not every story that gets sent in ends up on your inventory spreadsheet, right. does it? I mean, no, this is just the stories that I've I've bought. Um, we do have we have this online portal now for submitting stories. We have for the past five years, which is great, and that holds um, all the stories. So I can go back. I can check if I <laughs> um, if I you know, maybe just kind of 
double thinking myself or, you know, I finished reading a story and maybe I rejected it, but it's still with me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I can still kind of go back and say, contact the author and say, you yeah, know, I think I made a mistake here, but, um, but yes, yeah, so that in itself is a kind of inventory of everything, all the letters that we've sent out, everybody, you know, I can just, um, kind of check to see if I stories sometimes might feel a little like I read this before and I can go back to our submission portal and say yeah you know I have <laughs> <laughs> well if somebody reworks their short story is it okay for them to resubmit yeah I you know I like if they would tell me you know first or in the cover letter this is you know may seem familiar but I did rework it yeah and that that's helpful, you know, because I frequently I'll remember the story, but I won't remember the details. Right. So it's helpful just to say I worked on the ending. I tightened the language. Um, uh, you know, that's 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 a you know, and certainly people do um, do the the only thing I'd say sometimes is to kind of keep that to a, a minimum to a certain extent because it can get kind of frustrating. <laughs> To say, well, try this third draft. Right. <laughs> Look at this fourth draft. At right. that point, I was like, let's move on. Let me see a new story. So, when let's talk about short stories in general. I mean, do you think that we're at a, a golden age? I don't know that it's a golden age of short stories. I mean, I think certainly for writers, but there seems to be. A lot of short story anthologies coming out mm-hmm. right now. Lots of opportunities for writers who haven't had their voices heard, um, you know, finding mm-hmm. light and things like that. Tell me about what you think short stories are um, at this point in the you know 21st century. Are they, you know, are they growing in popularity? Are they as popular as they've always been, but mm-hmm. we just, you know, don't always recognize that? Um. I can't always talk from the, I don't understand the market enough to know like who's buying and what people are saying. And we sort of feel like from just conversations we've had with some of the people subscribed to our magazines that um, people, people who just like short stories and maybe they're not obsessive mystery readers, but the venue um, for, in magazines for short stories is, is shrunk sadly but um, I think there are people that just they love the form they love the economy of it and it it there's a real artistry I think to really mm-hmm. to a good short story um, that I think you know there's people that really appreciate there's people that find it frustrating because they feel like a you know, novel you can sink into you can set it down and pick it up but a short story just demands so much concentration mm-hmm. I think um but you know I think also they're fun you know you can play with a short story that you can't in a novel you know you and I think people look for that too like something clever something like surprise me yeah. Um, I I think that one of the conversations as I'm talking to writers on this podcast and talking to them in the rest of my life is uh, the respect for the short story, especially mm-hmm. if you um, if you try it and you're used to writing a novel. <laughs> yeah. um, it is not a transferable skill. It is a it is a different skill set to to write a short story. Yeah. Um, can you talk, I mean, there's no one thing, but that economy of of words and also um, the opportunity to mix things up or, or to think about things. Are there any sort of things that you have found over the years make a strong short story or or a short a great short story writer always employs? I mean, yeah. Um, um. Well, one of the things I think when you talk about that economy, it's just it's knowing what to what image, what's going to like really sing, really going to give a broader picture. 
So it's a little, just one thing and the reader sees a whole, you know, bar room, for instance. Um, and that's, I think that's where the, that economy where the, you know, knowing what it is, that tiny little thing that's going to speak so much um, and give a picture of something that's just unique to that story, not a, um, you know, a, a, a kind of cardboard bar scene, for instance, but like a very particular bar scene, but it just has to be like one little image or one tiny snippet of conversation that, you know, the reader can hear the whole thing in their head. <laughs> yeah, That to me is kind of magical because I don't know where it comes from. When I try and write, I have a really hard time <laughs> finding it myself. You know, I think, it, um, so, you know, I think when I see it, I just, it's, it's just magical. You know, it's just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, how to say how to find it, except maybe see it in other people's stories and then analyze that. Look at what this author has done, you know. That's always uh, great advice is read in the genre or in the yeah. form that you're yeah. writing in so that you get a sense of, of what, what others are doing. Um, a lot of novelists will use short stories as a way of uh, exploring mm -hmm. another voice or, yeah. you know, I, I know some cozy writers who their short stories are much darker yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because they can, I mean, because that's the fun of it. Um, do you, as you're reading these, do you recognize when an, uh, a writer is sort of testing themselves and, ex and, and exploring new boundaries or, you know, sort of building up their craft and doing it well? I mean, do you get excited by that sort of exploration? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's fun. It's fun to see a, a writer grow, particularly someone, you know, that I've published in a few different ways. Um, kind of tangential to this, sometimes um, we've been lucky when publishers will say to an author, you know, this book is too long, you've got to cut out some of these um, characters. And, you know, with one author, I was hearing this story, didn't want to, didn't want to leave this favorite character behind. And I said, well, you know, um, why not make her a short story series? And it was a great series. You know, we were, we were lucky that way. Um, so, you know, I think for, for novelists to get that kind of feedback from their publisher, you know, it's an opportunity maybe to take this character that you're having to cut out and play with it. And, you know, a lot of the stories and minor characters from series or snippets from series, and that's a lot of fun too, just to have a short story that gives a, a little bit more breadth to a series. Yeah. Um, so what has, talk about, you sort of the evolution of publishing from your perspective, because you've been doing it for so long. I mean, you talked about the mechanics changing that, you know, mm -hmm. not having to send things out, being able to do things in house as far as putting it together. But what else has changed over the past 20 years in the publishing industry as you've been, you know, going mm -hmm. to conferences? I mean, you're yeah. you're you you're out and about a lot and talking <laughs> to folks. Um. It's hard to talk about the industry so much um, without going into a rant about, you know, magazines disappearing from magazines yeah. and grocery stores. Um, you know, I do feel like uh, the whole, one of the things I found exciting lately is just a huge interest, or I don't know if it's new or, or what, but uh, in mystery classic mysteries so much so you know like I think there's this Sarah Weinman anthologies I just thought were were terrific and the Crip and the Landroot books are are you know so much fun the I just finished reading um, Martin Edwards yeah. being tall one 
the history of mysteries and it it's just that interest in keeping you know these it keeps these authors alive that you know might have disappeared just because they're not being published anymore and it it was so much i found myself because we used to do mystery classics but i found so many other people were also publishing mystery classics that i i dropped our our that feature in the magazine for a while to have more room for current stories. And also, you know, I felt like I, you know, other people were picking up, you know, kind of bringing out these stories. So um, I think that's really positive. We have so much to learn for people and, you know, you just hate to see people disappear because they're, you know, not kind of the book of the month or, you know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, it, yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot to, um, unpack on that one. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, let's talk a little bit about magazines disappearing. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock and Ellery Queen, if you go to a conference, um, they're mm-hmm. often in the conference bag, which is a great thing, but writers subscribing to these magazines, um, not only gives them great stuff to read but it also helps to helps make sure that the the magazines are there um for the future um do you and you you kept going but that has changed so much over time have you made changes within um you know your magazines as far as responding to the digital age or 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 you know figuring things out or or is this a conversation that you're having because there is something really great about holding a magazine in your hand and reading it and being yeah. able to put post-its and circle things and you know all yeah, that I sort think of so stuff. too and same with newspapers too yeah you know, we do we we sell a fair amount of digital subscriptions, and um, I have I get both. I have a digital subscription, but I have my hard copy. You know, I just there is something different about that. So um, it may be a generational thing. Some people are just more comfortable reading online. I know the way things are now. I kind of have to have my either my iPhone or my um, iPad with me. I do a lot of reading on my iPad or slush. Um, But, you know, it's like to just stay connected. Um, You can't really tune anything out anymore. (laughs) I know. know. Well, and again, just in your career, Mm -hmm iPhones and iPads and connections and you know digital archives and those are all so new I I, I don't I, I you know I look at my nieces and nephews and they're all in college or just out of college and they're you know they're grown up with that but it's, I just sometimes go on little rants about typing term papers and, and things yeah. that they just have no idea um has that access and that ease of submitting or of doing things instead of, you know, back in the day right, when mm-hmm. people used to snail mail things and things yeah. has, do you, do you find that you, the over, it overwhelms you um, how much information and how much is out there or do you, can you still sort of get through um, you know, all the submissions that come in yeah. or, or, you know, figured out that system? Um, well, I think if I'm understanding your question right, we, you know, when when we switch to um, our online portal for submissions, our submissions just tripled. And I, I was the last to make the switch in our company, and I'd been warned, <laughs> um, uh, which is fine, which is good. You know, it's it's slow going, I think, to really can give every story its due. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, I don't have boxes of paper anymore. <laughs> I used to travel because we were living in Vermont and working in New York. I was coming in every month and I carry like, because I reading on the train is the most wonderful thing. And I can just, 
tune everything out and just really focus. So I bring like 10, 15 manuscripts with me and maybe not get through all of them, but it was, you know, it was killing my shoulder. <laughs> and now I just bring my iPad. Um, but the same experience, you know, you get used to reading online and get used to doing my work online and it's um, everything fits in my pocketbook now, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. Um, I think too, one of the things I've noticed sometimes is people are kind of quick to submit and um, even though it's on, you know, it's electronic, it's still nice to have, you know, a, a your name and address <laughs> and your byline, have have your byline as you want it to appear in print underneath the story title and have page numbers on there. That's, you know, that even though it's electronic, it's still kind of, I still read page by page, you know, so, um, and it helps me, you know, when I'm estimating how long a story is going to be. Um, so, you know, stories still need, a kind of polish, yeah, a, a presentation polish that I think kind of reflects how you feel about yourself as an author. You know, you you've worked on this story, you care about it, and then you know, dress it up a little bit. <laughs> you know, just make it look very professional. I mean, not to say I get a story and you know it's just a title and it jumps right in and it's you know single spaced and um. I still read it. I still find stuff that's um, it looks a little sloppy. I mean, you know, if it has, if I'm reading a story that has a typos in it, it, you know, I, I think those are things we can fix. We can, you know, that right. doesn't um, spelling errors. We can, we can catch those. We will, you know, that really doesn't bother me. I mean, it's nice when people really kind of go over it beforehand, present the the best neatest story that they can. But, you know, if you realize that you've had a spelling error or typo in your story, we'll catch it. You know, it won't, we'll, we'll still, it won't turn us off as we're reading it. But you should have proofed it enough that you, you didn't see it. I mean, do mm -hmm. do that extra um, layer of work. So just to let folks know what, what is the formatting that they should think about? I mean, Times or courier, double space, 12 yeah. points. The, the, I think to really you just want to make it as easy on the eyes as possible. Mm -hmm. So just a regular font, um, information that we need up top, you know, your name, your contact information, the byline that you like to use, um, it, and page numbers in, in the footer. That's just great. You know, that I think that's enough. Um, double space is good. If I'm really struggling to read something, I can, you know, download it onto my laptop <laughs> and make it double spaced. So, um, so I think that, you know, you don't need to have all put things in all caps. <laughs> um, Oh, you know, one thing I wish authors would do is um, when they have numbers, particularly in conversations, write it out. Like if it's a hundred, you know, how is this going to be said in conversation? One hundred, a hundred, you know, I, I I wish people would spell it out for us. So we're not guessing like, you know, how do we translate this into um and, you know, percentages and things, you know, how if people are speaking, I want to hear it, how it's supposed to be. Spoken. Right. Right. If they're using a shortcut or vernacular or something yeah. that's, you know, regional. Um, um, well, you talked about downloading it and putting in double space if you want to and, and you know, and yeah. overlooking um, typos. But but is there a point where you you're reading a story and you're not loving it that you're you just think to yourself I'm not going to work that hard to make it yeah yeah you know if a story is really um not right for us so I this is where I think it's really important to read the magazine and have a sense of our style um you know I we we tend to shy away from stories that involve um 
child abuse and, you know, kind of, even though we're a story, we're a magazine that, you know, murders in entertainment, um, some crimes just are not entertaining. Um, so, um, you know, just to, to be aware, be aware of what we publish and what we don't publish. Um, I always think, sometimes I wish authors, I, I say this all the time, and I know I sound like a broken record, read the story out loud before you send it in or have somebody read it to you, because I think a lot of, you can hear the typos, you know, uh, extra, you know, word here or there, or some of the things that frustrate me is information that gets repeated. Um, mm -hmm. Something that's, you know, kind of in the, you know, regular exposition and then gets repeated in a conversation. I sort of feel like as a reader, I need that once, you know, I can hold that information in my head. <laughs> um, so yeah. little things like that, that kind of slow the progress of the story, kind of make it feel clumpy to me. Well, in a short story, especially, uh, you've got to really, every word needs to be there for a reason. I, I, yeah. And again, I think that that's why the um, it's a different art form. It's not, you know, you do want to only deliver that information once or deliver it once to misdirect, but don't point out that you misdirected people. I mean, there's so many nuances to it. Um, and I think the reading out loud uh, is a great piece of advice, especially in a short story. It's not that hard. I mean, you're, you may be reading 20 pages, but it's not it's not terrible. <laughs> I love to I love to have books read to me. My husband reads to me a lot. And I mentioned the Martin Edwards book and I'm blanking at the title. It's in the other room, um, but it's 600 pages. <laughs> Plus notes. And I was thinking about that book last night because my husband read it aloud to me as it, over the, it was my birthday present last year. And over the course of the year, as I'm cooking, my husband would read, read the book aloud. And I actually didn't read the book. It was read to me all 600 pages. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll put the, um, uh, the book won the Anthony at Butchercon this year. I will put the title in the show notes so that people um, can oh, find it no. because it is quite the quite the lifetime's uh, work that he did on that book. Yeah, <laughs> history of the well. I love that um, somebody reading to you and and um, you know I, I've become a fan of audio books during the pandemic mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I couldn't concentrate to read, but I could listen to books, and so it's become um, one of my favorite play ways to to do books. Do you ever think about you know does Alfred Hitchcock offer an audio version of the magazine? There, there's a group that reads the magazine for the blind, um, and then we do podcasts, and they're not, they can be older stories. Um, we ask um, our authors, you know, if they want, it's not required, you know, if you want to read your story, um, and we'll put it up on our podcast, and those are actually pretty popular. I oh, think it's right. popular with people that like stories. Not necessarily you know, mystery readers, but they just like to hear the stories. They like the form of the short stories, yeah. um, and that's fun. They're, I think they're fun. They're, you know, you hear the author's voice. You, you hear something. You maybe when you've read it, you read it a different way, and then to hear it read a different, you know, like oh, that's how that was said. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll I'll point to the podcast as well because that's that's great. Yeah. Um, so you can find it on iTunes, um, but also on our website uh, for both magazines, uh, themysteryplace.com. What do you love about your job? Oh, you know what? I love uh, accepting stories from new authors. I mean, that's just a thrill. I think that's editors, every editor's thrill. Um, I love the people. I love that, you know, the, the mystery community is a really supportive and nurturing community. Um, 
and you know watching kind of being with a, a writer someone we've worked with for a while or that you know, maybe I'm kind of watching grow and that's just fun you know it's just it's it's really in a in a very particular way or watching an author get their first novel published you know is 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 it's or you know being nominated for an award you yeah know, it's just it's, it's there's a lot of good things that go on and and just knowing that maybe you're in the background of that that's a lot of fun <laughs> can you speak to writers who may get uh, a pass from your magazine but it may be uh it just doesn't work for us but it's a good story pass you know the good rejection sometimes mm-hmm. that folks can get and how to take heart um w- even with with some rejections i mean there are different mm-hmm. types of rejections we know but but so the people can understand that a story may be great it just may not fit Mm-hmm. Um, immediately in the magazine, and and that's just part of this process. Yeah, you know, I'm partly because we get so many more stories than we can publish, um, and and that's the that's the the worst thing about the job is the rejection letters. I just hate yeah. it, <laughs> and yeah. I'm sorry. I don't, you know, I I want I don't want to reject any story. Um, you know, I I think you know one of the things maybe that makes us so slow in reading our slush is that we treat every story that comes in really seriously. You know, we, we really go over it. And so even though we don't have the time always to put in a very personal rejection, um, we have kind of engaged with that story um, in a way that, you know, I think literature is meant to be engaged with, you know, we're really kind of reading. When I used to get things in paper, I love to like just scribble on the margins, even when I had to return a story, because it just, it felt like we were kind of sparring with one another in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 one of the things, because Kathleen kept everything, she, and she was a real hoarder with any kind of email or paper trail. So when I was going through her old files, I could see so many authors where she would, she was like bit by bit encouraging and encouraging. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, you know, they're there, they've got it. They've, you know, it, so, um, you know, I, I sadly, I think rejection is just kind of what's going to happen when mm-hmm. you're a writer. You have to let it roll off and have to realize maybe, maybe I wasn't the right reader. I just didn't get it. Maybe it's just me kind of being dumb and your story is really great. And I'm going, and there have been, to tell you the truth, there have been stories where maybe I've passed on it. And I've seen it someplace else and think, gosh. <laughs> I lost that one. <laughs> so, you know, uh, if a story that's not right for one editor or one magazine, um, it may be the same story, may be right for another editor, another magazine. It's so, you know, don't, don't take it to a rejection to mean you're not good as a writer. You know, that is certainly not, it, I would never want to say that to anybody because everybody's always growing and um i just think that the rejection means it's not right for us at this time you know that it doesn't mean anything about the quality can writers um undermine themselves by the way they respond or react to you if you've mm-hmm. rejected a story um or if they're they you know, um, you know, fire off a mean missive afterwards, or if they stomp their foot when they see you in person, does that undermine um, them a little bit? Had it happened to me once when I got um, email like that because I had rejected a story, and um, it bothered me, and I kept the email for a little bit, and I've since. You know, it's thrown it away. If I got another story from that author, I can't remember. I, I can't remember their name. 
so, you know, I don't get very many emails like that. I don't, you know, I, I, I really don't. People don't come back and, you know, mad at us. Most people say just thank you. Thank you for you know, reading the story. That one email, I think maybe the guy was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. But if he submitted in the, you know, I might have even uh, published him without realizing it. You know, it just, it doesn't stick with me. You know, I'm, I certainly know, understand the disappointment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I expect to come across authors multiple times that I'll accept or reject. And, um, you know, the relationship is ongoing. It is an ongoing um, an ongoing journey. You talked a little bit about community um, and and this is, you know, what um, the the how great the crime writing community is. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about what what community um, can how it can support a writer and and, you know, recommendations for becoming parts of community? I, I think sometimes writers uh, don't understand how important it is yeah. to to join a community. Yeah. Well, I think the support um, that you've all been in the same, you know, you're all having the same struggle. Um, and the cheerleading, you know, behind you when you get something published. Oh, gosh, I remember years, one of my first voucher comes maybe I and I was in the women's room <laughs> and someone came up and said you know you you just you just accepted a story from somebody from a writer's group <laughs> and you know it's like having people other people excited for you yeah I there's yeah. a lot of really really good advice just about the business of publishing that I see reading the blogs reading the sisters in crime blog um, that I think you might not get from, you know, reading the books and manuals, but to get from someone who's had a um, similar experience. Uh, the newsletters that, you know, come out of Sisters in Crime and Mystery Writers of America are just, they're filled with, like, just good stuff to to know. Yeah. For me, too, just, you know, names popping up you know I'm writing down like oh this is a new novel this really sounds intriguing you know just to to see what you know what's being done it's yeah so um Linda where as we're talking it's October of 2023 what issue of Alfred Hitchcock are you now working on and and are you planning all through 2024 or, you know, where are you in this, in your process? Well, I'm starting to edit the May, June issue and we're, we're bringing, we just released the January, February, 2024 issue. And we're starting on the kind of middle kind of segment of, of editing the March, April issue. Mm-hmm. It's like where all the stories are edited and, in you know, kind of been laid out in pages and and being kind of reproofread and um, we're putting our columns together. And I'm starting to go over the May June issue um, first, and thinking starting to to map out what's going to go in the July August issue. <laughs> so we really do think think pretty far in advance. Um, you know, it's. It's shocking to me sometimes we come like summer and I'm already thinking of, you know, <laughs> what's going in the January, February 2025 issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you still love the job as much as you did? I do. I do. I enjoy the reading. I enjoy reading the, the novels and knowing what other people are doing. I enjoy the the whole discovery, finding somebody new. Um, I enjoy, you know, kind of listening to authors talk about themselves at conferences. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's one of the things I really like about um, uh, Malice Domestic Conference is the new authors. 
breakfast and just um or the you know the speed dating <laughs> yeah and not only like discovering new authors but watching the readers there just take yeah. furious notes <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just fun there's just this um swirl of excitement about reading and about you know kind of writing and you know, you and you leave thinking I gotta sit down I've got all these ideas <laughs> yeah you know it reinvigorates you doesn't it yeah <laughs> Linda thank you for what you do and for um for some spending some time with us I'll put links to everything in um the show notes for folks and highly recommend that they go and get their um, Alfred Hitchcock magazine so that they can read some short stories um, and understand you know what's out there um, and you know the short story form is uh, there's a lot of opportunity to learn but it's also a, a real skill and and uh, mm -hmm. short story writers I just tip my hat because it's the hardest thing in the world I think oh one of the things <laughs> I wanted to mention one of our most popular columns is the um, Mysterious Photograph Contest, which we always publish. The, we ask for people to submit a 250-word story, which we publish later. Readers love that. It, I mean, most of the mail that we get about the magazine frequently comes to people admiring this column. I've tried doing it myself. It's really difficult, you know, hats yeah. off to people that can get a story down in 250 words. And it, there you talk about getting at the essence of a story, at the, you know, the crux of it in such a small place. It's, I think that's just good training. Yeah. And maybe a good prompt, like when you're stuck or when you, you need to, you know, to challenge <laughs> yourself. It's something to, to get the juices flowing. Yeah. Um, excellent idea. Thank you again, Linda. What a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed this. I can go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>